Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, I want to welcome all of you guys who are here in the room, everybody watching online as well. We're so glad that you've joined us. And today we're going to begin with this. Any C.S. Lewis fans here in this room? Let me see your hands. Okay. Yeah, whenever you read C.S. Lewis, it's going to make me sound a lot smarter than I really am, but you got to pay close attention whenever he says something. But he wrote this great book. It's called The Screwtape Letters. And the idea behind this book is that it's a series of letters written to a junior demon, and it's written by the name by a guy by the name of Screwtape, who's a senior demon tempter, to teach this junior demon how to best pry a human being away from faith in God. I want you to listen carefully to what old screw tape writes here. He says, one of our great allies in this is the church itself. Well, that's interesting. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her, spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these human beings. When your patient goes to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors he has hitherto avoided. Okay, go ahead and look around at the person sitting next to you, all right? Let's go do that real quick. <laughs> he says, you want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little what kind of people that pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter. Your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have shoes that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. It's a fabulous book. And part of what Lewis is doing here is to draw a fundamental distinction. See, there is on the one hand what you might call the capital C church, the universal body of Christ. As Lewis says, it's spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That is a community of men and women redeemed by God on a mission that Jesus gave. And this universal capital C church is kind of like the soul in the sense that it's real, but we can't see it all directly. It's fully known only to God. But what you and I can see, what we all see, is what might be called the little C church. Buildings, denominations, chairs, programs, all kinds of odd people going to worship services. And the danger is if that's all we see, then we miss out on the vision of this staggering, eternal, Jesus-fueled mission in the world. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to get clear about both. We're going to talk about both. Today, we're going to get real clear on the capital C, Big C Church, and what a glorious organism it is. You know, what is the purpose of Jesus' church in this world? And then next week, we're going to talk about the little C Church. Specifically, what is our vision and mission as Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown? What has God called us to do? 
And then after that, we're going to spend several weeks talking about our mission and how you and I fulfill that as a part of this church. Now, if you go back in history, the, the church began as kind of a surprise for its charter members. And I'm actually going to start today a little before the official foundation of the church. That happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. But I believe that Jesus laid the foundation for the church and how the church was to operate back in the Gospels. And so we're going to begin there. In fact, if you look at that word church, ecclesia, it simply means a called out assembly. A group of people who are called out. The church is just a group of people. It's Christians. And Jesus never said, go to church. What he said was, follow me. Follow me. Some did. And they saw Jesus do amazing things. They thought, we've never seen anybody like this guy. And we get to watch. We get front row seats. Until one day, Jesus said something that changed their lives. It changed the world. It might change you. All right, this is Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. So these 12 guys thought, when it comes to Jesus, we get to watch. Until one day Jesus said, no, that's not the plan. This is not really a come and watch kind of movement. This is a go and do kind of movement. And they wonder, well, what should we do? And Jesus says, just do what you've been watching me do. Just care for people. If people are hungry, feed them. If people are lonely, love them, pray for them. If people are open, tell them about me. Just do what you've seen me do. And they're like, well, what should we take with us? And what did Jesus say? Nothing. No staff, no bag, no purse, no money, no tunic. Because now you're stepping into spiritual reality. Now my father, the God of our daily bread, he's involved and he will provide. And you're going to see stuff that you won't believe. You know, it's a funny thing. Generally, throughout history, you find the church flourishing the most where people don't have a lot of staffs and bags and tunics. When people have a lot of bags and tunics, and a lot of us have a lot of bags and tunics, every once in a while, they'll get really humble and generous and good stuff can happen. But usually, they get kind of self-satisfied, self-sufficient, and they start thinking, man, if God had our resources and connections and education, he would be lucky to have our help. And then they miss out on the miracle of the church. These 12, they take nothing. They just go and do. They go from village to village. They preach, they heal, they pray. And then in chapter 9, verse 10, this is great. It says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And that's all we know about a conversation that must have been amazing. They had just come back and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, you got to hear about this. Right? And John talks, Peter talks, doubting Thomas, he's one of the guys that went. Judas Iscariot, remember Judas? He's one of the 12. They come back and they report all that went right. You know, they report the joys of being used by God. And I'm sure in some cases they failed. They had to talk a little bit about that. 
And probably at times they exaggerated, like made it sound a little bit better than it really, really, really went, you know. And knowing human nature, they probably compared to each other. Oh, you healed four guys? Way to go. I healed five, but you know, you were so close, right? That kind of thing was going on. And it's so interesting to me because if you read on in Luke, I don't have time to do this, but if you go on in Luke chapter nine, the rest of Luke chapter nine, you know what it is? It's mostly stories about how the 12 keep messing up over and over again. It's as if Luke wants us to know that it doesn't take perfect people to do this. Like a father brings a tormented son to them and they can't do a thing. The, the, the 12, the disciples, they get into this huge argument about who's the greatest. Some Samaritans won't receive them. They want to call down fire from heaven and torch the guys. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Come on, guys. I mean, just read it. It's very fascinating to me. It's like Luke wants his readers to know that imperfections, immaturity, ignorance, those are not disqualifications for being a part of Jesus' work in the world. Hear me on this. No matter how inadequate you think you are, Jesus invites every human being to be a part. No spectators. He wants you to come out of the bleachers, onto the field, and get into the game. Because here's the deal. It's not about adequacy. It's not about competence. It's not about how young or old you are. Jesus didn't say, I'm looking for spectators who will come to a building one hour a week and, and watch. No, Jesus said, I'm looking for followers who will go and do. Some did. And God used them to start a movement that touched the world. Something spread out through all time and space, rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. Something the human eye can't see. Well, then we progress in Luke. We get to Luke 10. And listen to this. He's expanding now. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Folks, no one ever thought of anything like this, ever. Only Jesus and so now he's expanding the core. He starts with 12. And let me tell you, when people read that number 12 back then, you know what they thought about? They thought about the 12 tribes of Israel, the Jews. Okay, God is caring for his people. But this time, Jesus sends out 72. Now, if you know the scriptures, you know that generally speaking, numbers have tremendous significance. And what you've got to do is you've got to roll all the way back in your Old Testament to Genesis chapter 10. And what you find in Genesis 10 is what's called the list of nations. And in the Greek version, there are 72 nations. In other words, Jesus has this vision that with this tiny handful of people, no power, no money, they're going to go out and reach the whole world. And by the way, here we are 2,000 years later. Yeah, Jesus saw this. There's nothing like the church. Now, Matthew explains why this matters so much to Jesus, why it should matter to you and me. He says, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That is the human race without Jesus, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. It's huge. He sees the whole world, but the workers are few. You know, I like that. Jesus doesn't use a glamorous word here. The apostles are few. The spiritual giants are few. No, just workers. Just the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, there's a reason for the mission of Jesus. It's the heart of Jesus. Jesus' heart aches for every single human being, rich and poor, young and old, who don't have a shepherd. So the mission of the church, hear me on this, because churches get confused about this. The mission of the church is not to go out into the world out of disgust and shape it up. Now, we're going to force you to live by our moral standards. No, the mission of the church is to go out with humility, with compassion, to help the world out, to point them to the good shepherd, Jesus. That's our mission. So Jesus, he, he sends out the 72, and he says, I want you to go not on your own, I want you to go two by two because the church, it's not a group of solo performers. It's not individual stars. It is a community, and we're to go in community. Now, there's an old story about a northerner who was curious about grits, and he was in a restaurant down south. He wasn't sure he wanted a full order of grits, and so he asked the waitress if he could have just a single grit. (laughs) And the waitress said, honey, they don't come by themselves. Followers of Jesus in the church are like that. We're like grits. We don't come by ourselves. See, our mission is to go out and reach the world, bring the good news of Jesus to every man, woman, and child, and we're going to do that through authentic community. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. And Jesus said, I want you to go out two by two. You're like grits. You don't go by yourself. And, And I would love to know, really, how did Jesus decide who paired up with whom? Because when you get on the road with somebody, you get to know them really, really well. Right? They get under your skin after a while, they snore, they chew too loudly, they talk too much. And now you got to love a real person, right? I want you to go out two by two. And then he makes this odd statement. Did you catch this? Do not greet anyone on the road. Well, that's kind of weird. Why does Jesus say It seems unfriendly, doesn't it? Well, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, a greeting was a long, formal, time-consuming, drawn-out affair. Once you got into one, you weren't going anywhere for quite a while. Like, it's a little like in my marriage, okay? Yeah, you guys are already starting to chuckle. (laughs) Don't worry, I'll get out of this. But, you know, I'll come home from work, and we'll have our little debrief, my wife and I, and, you know, she'll ask how my day was. Sometimes I'll give her details, and other times if I'm really worn out, I pride myself in my ability to tell her in one single word. Sometimes even less, just, hmm, hmm. And then I ask her how her day went, and sometimes she'll say fine. And then then other times, she'll take more time to explain an event than the actual event itself took, okay? Which, of course, I find to be charming and delightful, (laughs) as is being recorded right now as I speak. (laughs) If she was up here, she would say, I do that more often, and she's right. But anyhow, that's a different story. Jesus is not saying here, don't be polite. Be rude. No, this is a statement of urgency. 
Don't let anything get in the way of this mission. This is critical. This is crucial, people. There's an eternity at stake. In fact, it's so urgent, Jesus asks, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out, explode, thrust out workers. That's what Jesus says. You know, the Greek word send out there, ekbale, it's used of casting out a demon. It's kind of a violent term. It's explode out, send out those workers. This is crucial. You know, it's like saying, God, make this happen because there are so many sheep out there who don't have a shepherd and there's an eternity at stake. And Jesus says about those who reject him, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And those cities were synonymous with wickedness to the Jews. This is so, so urgent. And I have to tell you, I don't understand churches that get complacent and self-satisfied. Churches where the level of urgency is lower than it is in companies or corporations that are just all about making money. You know, a great danger in the church, especially one that's been around for a while, is that it can get distracted from its Jesus-given mission by human-driven side issues. Folks, that must not happen. Like we have this vision, this mission from God to bring Jesus, the good shepherd, into a dark world where the sheep have no shepherd. And nothing and nobody should be allowed to siphon off the best of our time, the best of our energy, the best of our resources from this mission. Nobody's agenda gets to go before Jesus' agenda for his church. Well, Jesus goes on to say, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Oof. Question, what do wolves do to lambs? Yeah, it's not pretty. It reminds me of the old story about the atheist in the woods who runs into this giant hungry bear. But he's walking along, he comes face to face with this huge bear and he's just terrified. So all of a sudden he cries out, God, I, I, I don't believe in you, God. I, no, no, no. But, but if you are up there, hey, why don't you bail me out? Why don't you prove yourself? I don't know, make me a Christian, whatever you do. And God says, no, you know, I can't do that. Like, that's not real faith. That, that's just fear speaking. Doesn't work that way. So the atheist says, okay, fine. Then can you make the bear a Christian? <laughs> God says, all right, that I can do. And so the bear is converted, drops to his knees, closes his eyes, folds his paws in prayer, and says, Lord, thank you for this food I'm about to receive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, here's the deal. As the church, we would really rather not go out like lambs among wolves. Am I right? No, thank you. I mean, we'd rather go out as the wolves. I'd rather go out in power. We'd rather go out and be impressive and tell everyone, hey, we're in charge. We're in control now. We're taking everything back. But Jesus didn't say, I'm sending you out like wolves among lambs. He says, I'm sending you out in love and compassion and humility. In fact, no staff, no bag, no tunic, like lambs among wolves. And folks, this really happened. And it turns out this weak, penniless little movement, those lambs among wolves, it was unstoppable. So a long time passed, but eventually it says this, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They returned with joy. Coming and watching, that was good, but going and doing in Jesus' name, priceless. That's the best, unbelievable. So they come back, 
And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Folks, something is going on here that human eyes cannot perceive. The powers of darkness, the gods of all those other nations, their kingdoms are being threatened, even stripped away from them. Hell is trembling because the church is on the march. And then we get a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. I don't know about you, but this is deeply moving for me. It says, at that time, in that very moment, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Like Jesus bursts out in praise over what just took place. These little lambs did it. This strange strategy that will one day be called the church is going to work. And so now Jesus thinks, I can go to the cross. I can put this mission of spreading the good news of the grace of God into the hands of these feeble, messed up human beings, right? Faltering men and women. And yeah, they won't understand and they'll mess up a lot and they'll get cranky and have conflicts with each other. But somehow the mission is gonna go on in and through them. Sheep are gonna find a shepherd. Darkness is gonna get rolled back and up there is gonna come down here. And then he, Jesus, turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What did they see in here? The foundation of what one day would be called the church. Blessed are you. You see it. You see it. And then Jesus goes to that cross. He dies for our sins. He rose from the grave. Then he gave his followers his spirit. But then, people, once again, Jesus sent his followers out like lambs among wolves. You got to understand, that's not just an expression. That is not just a phrase. Virtually all of his disciples were executed for their faith. Sometimes we gloss over that stuff. But you turn over to Romans, and Paul tells them, pray for and submit to your authorities. And love even your enemies. Or over in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 5, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. People, the main authority in Rome at that time was a man named Nero. Nero scapegoated Christians when Rome was burning, and he was blamed for it. Historians tell us that Nero had Christians seized and used as human torches in gladiator events. But Paul, following Jesus, says, we have to pray for him. We have to love him. Tradition tells us that Paul was beheaded by Nero. But the movement, the movement kept going. See, their lives were caught up in something much bigger than themselves, much bigger than their money, their houses, their retirement, their reputation, and this was an unstoppable force. You know, they would die, and one of them would say, the blood of the martyrs? Oh, it's like it's watering the seed of the church, and new people keep springing up everywhere. You just can't stop it. Lambs among wolves. Who else would think of a strategy like that? And for several centuries, Christianity spread like that always at great social and financial cost, often with persecution. 
But then if you know your history in the fourth century, a guy named Constantine came along. Constantine was the Roman emperor and he was converted. So all of a sudden, Christianity, which had been illegal, is now the official religion of the state. And you would think, man, that's great news. And in some ways it did lead to some good things, but an odd thing happened. Up until that time, it was hard to find a nominal Christian. I mean, if you follow Jesus, you usually paid a great price. But suddenly, it's easier in the kingdom to be a Christian than a non-Christian. So virtually everybody's a Christian. It's the official state religion. And now it's easier to be a nominal Christian than a nominal pagan. And in some ways, I would say the church has never fully recovered. But for better or for worse, that was their day. That was their day. But now, now, people, it's our day. And the Lord of the harvest is still looking for workers. Not spectators, not people to come and watch. And I have to tell you, we have very little interest in leading the successful expansion of nominal Christianity in a nominally Christian culture. It's like, who cares? Because even now, Jesus' heart is breaking over sheep out there who don't have a shepherd. And there's an eternity at stake. Don't greet anyone on the road. I got something for you to do. I got people for you to love. I got a message for you to proclaim. And the sheep are all over. And they may look good out there, but they're breaking. They're falling apart. They are sheep without a shepherd. That marriage that looks fine on the outside, it's falling apart. That successful businesswoman is so depressed, she's not even sure it's worth getting up in the morning. Young people out there who, you know, they have their whole lives ahead of them, but they're confused, they're conflicted in their heart. They got nothing to live for nothing bigger than themselves. They don't know about life. They don't know about death. Some guy sitting in a jail cell who doesn't think he has any future because nobody loves him. Nobody cares about him. Jesus' heart breaks. And if you've got a loved one who is out there suffering and doesn't know the good shepherd, your heart breaks a little too. So pray, pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers. Because church is not mostly something you go to. Church is something you go from. And there's never been a vision for anything else in this world quite like Jesus' vision for the church. That's why it's made it for 2,000 years. That's why it will continue to endure. And I'm telling you, when everything else sits on the ash heap of history, there will be nothing shining in the universe like the church. And one day when every company, every country, every corporation has shut down its bureaucracy and closed its doors, one day when McDonald's has served its last hamburger, right, and Apple's made its last computer, and Google has Googled its last factoid, and Facebook has connected its final friend, and Chuck E. Cheese's has greased its last pizza, that furry little rodent closes the doors once and for all, the church that Jesus started spread out through all time and space, rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners, will just be beginning an eternity of glorious, joyful existence that is now beyond our wildest dreams, but one day will fill all creation with the glory of God, like the waters cover the sea. Amen? Amen. Yeah, amen. I don't know about you, I long for that day. Hey, if the worship team will come up at this time, I'm going to pray in just a moment, and um, they're going to actually lead us in a response song.
You know, when we start our series, we like to have a song that ties in with the series. We like to do that. So we encourage you after the prayer, stick around and sing your praise to God. But let's pray together. Lord, I have been so touched, so moved over the last couple weeks thinking about the movement you began. And just to recognize that, yeah, the church officially launched in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, but you were preparing the way. You were showing us, here's how it's done. And it's relational, it's connection. It's going out and reaching people. It's going out one sheep at a time. One sheep that doesn't have a shepherd. That's lost and confused and, and quite frankly, in danger. God, it's amazing to us that we can go out like lambs among wolves and hell itself trembles. That's because our power isn't coming from us. It's coming from you. And nothing is gonna stop your church. You said, I will build my church 2,000 years ago and you've been about that business. That's the most important work going on in the universe today. So God, I pray that we would be those workers that go out in the harvest. School, at work, in the neighborhoods around the world, wherever you're calling us. Lord, I know that I don't have that same level of compassion that you do, but I want it. I want my heart to break like your heart breaks for the lost people out there. So God, break my heart, break my brothers and sisters' hearts in this room so we don't have a choice but to explode out, to send out, to go out.